previously on Popping Collars. When I was a kid, my parents are both in agriculture, and my parents are like weirdly liberal for being completely. And um, and my dad had this farmer over, and I was sitting uh, at the. Y'all feel free to cut this because I'm rambling. But I was sitting on the television, teenager, and I'm watching MTV, and there's like boys to men on, you know, something like that. And my my so this farmer looks at my dad, and he said. He said, uh, don't you miss out what back in the good old days? You know, with the subtext being like when black people weren't on television. And my dad looked at him and he said, son, in the good old days, people died of the common cold. Welcome to Popping Callers, the podcast that lives at the intersection of religion and pop culture. I'm Liz Easton. I'm your host for today on our 64th episode, and I'm here with my co-hosts, Greg Knight in Palm Beach, Florida. What are you up to, Greg? What's up, Liz? Uh, it is hot, and I am the Director of Children and Youth Ministries at the Church of Bethesda-by-the-Sea in Palm Beach, Florida. Awesome. And Ricardo Avila is here with us as well in Long Beach, California. We've got two beaches. It confuses me, Palm Beach and Long Beach. What are you up to these days, Ricardo? We're both sons of beaches. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Liz. Good to hear from you in the heartland there. Uh, Yes, lovely Long Beach, California. I reside here as the interim rector of St. Luke's Episcopal Church and it has been hot here, too. Not probably as muggy as in Florida. And our special guest today is Brother James Dowd, who is sitting at my table, at my dining room table with me right now. It's a live recording from Omaha, Nebraska. What are you up to, Brother James? Well, I am, I am sitting at the Canon to the Ordinary's right hand, and that somehow <laughs> makes me special in a, in a way that I, it's hard to imagine, actually. Hello, Liz. Hello, Hello. guys. How are you doing? Good to be back. Uh, I am the monk in residence for the Diocese of Nebraska, and as such, I am traveling the contemplative roads of Nebraska. And uh, In a Ford Focus. In a, that's right. <laughs> that is right. It's a tiny little car. Uh, but it's wonderful, and I'm very, very glad to be here. Awesome. Thank you for joining us again. So this episode is our book club episode, Back by Popular Demand. We did one of these last year. It was a lot of fun. Um, and we're, we've been asked to do it again. We're all, you know, we binge watch a lot of TV here at Pop and Callers, but we're also avid readers. So it's fun to tell you about what's been on our nightstands and what we've been reading in the last year. So get your pens and pencils ready. If you're looking for summer reading, we're going to have some um, tips for you. We're going to do this like a round table. We're just going to take turns. We each brought three book recommendations. They're all different kinds of books, fiction, nonfiction, spiritual entirely not spiritual um everything in between maybe some storybooks about my little ponies we don't know but we're gonna count down from our third favorite pick to our first favorite pick and we're just gonna go around the virtual table uh greg is it okay with we start out with you what's your third favorite pick Absolutely, Liz. My number three is, uh, so the setup for my books, my my books all have a theme, I should probably say, to start what? with. Well, it's because it's they're all Twin Peaks inspired. In oh. the, uh, <laughs> because Twin Peaks recently came back after a 26-year hiatus, it's made me think of, I've been trying to find something that I've read before, 
and get a sense of, do I experience this any differently now? The first book that I picked was actually dire- directly linked to uh, to the television show uh, Twin Peaks. I picked for my number three, The Revolution Was Televised by Alan Sepinwall. Uh, specifically, it's about this golden age of television dramas that we're currently in. And so Alan wrote this book where he was trying to get at the root of where did all this prestige television come from? For the longest time, really deep drama, drama that engaged people, that was the domain of cinema. And television was the place for soap operas or for, you know, sort of light drama, episodic television, stuff like that. And he traces its roots back to Hill Street Blues, actually, in the 80s, this uh, this sort of uh, sophisticated television programming that then uh, has a cinematic element when David Lynch uh, creates Twin Peaks. And then the, the big floodwaters, he argues, comes when HBO produces the television show Oz. Oh. And following Oz... That's when you lead into The Sopranos, into The Wire, into uh, Breaking Bad, into Mad Men. All of that stuff kind of comes out of that vein. So that's my book. The Revolution Was Televised by Alan Sepinwall. What about you, Ricardo? What have you got for your number three pick? Liz, I got to tell you, my number three pick is representative of a genre that I love and don't ever get to read enough. So I, I, I will I will present it more as a, a representation. Is that like um, Harlequin romance? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I guess I would classify it as depressing contemporary fiction that's really smart and uh, kind of heart wrenching <laughs> and makes you feel good about yourself. My pick is a book called "You Remind Me of Me" by an author named Dan. Kaon. I believe it's Kaon. It's spelled like chaos, but with an N instead of an S. I think, you know, like most things, I heard about it first in Entertainment Weekly, which do not put that magazine down. I have found some of the best uh, reviews and leads in there for music, books, movies, television shows. I, I actually I actually trust the reviewers pretty pretty well. So uh, You Remind Me of Me came out in 2004. Uh, You could blurb it as when bad things happen to normal people or when normal people make sad choices that morph into tragic consequences. There are just these three narratives that are moving in and out through time, and the time is kind of scrambled up, which can be really frustrating. But I think it serves the narrative well because I think the sense of tragedy and um, kind of inevitability of fate builds by hearing someone's story after you know what's going to happen to them. I I can't say why I recommend the book, except that it stayed with me for years and years, and I've recommended it to other people. Yeah, and it's funny. It's it's hard to describe as a favorite book, except that it's, it's, it's powerful, and it just talks about normal people trying to get through life. I, that's that's the best I can say. But you remind me of me by Dan Kahn is a masterpiece in my opinion. All right, brother James, third pick. Okay, um, so I decided. You know, I'm a monk, so I decided to go with it. <laughs> He's a real monk. I'm, I'm a real monk. Ladies and gentlemen, yeah, I, yeah, this is real. Wow. Um, yeah. <laughs> Step back. Not, not like an alternative monk. This is actually a monk. <laughs> yeah. So I I did fun stuff. Now look, fun if you're a monk. <laughs> But my first one is um, 
is an author I go back to all the time who I love, 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 Demetria Martinez. And this particular book is The Black Captain's Daughter, which I would highly recommend. Demetria began as a journalist in New Mexico, and she uh, worked in the sanctuary movement back in the days when we were ferrying people out of El Salvador to save them from the death squads. And uh, she got herself into all kinds of legal trouble, and they were threatening to imprison her for 25 years because of the work she did helping people get across the border. In you know, later years, she, she started to write novels. What I love about her is that she, she writes about a very specific community of uh, mostly women. There are always men on the periphery, but the women are the lead characters in Albuquerque and mixes in spirituality that is native, that is Roman Catholic, that is New Age. It's, it's so wonderful because it gets to a point that I really love, which is that integration of spirituality into the ordinary, into daily life. The Black Captain's Daughter has something about it that just really, really pulls me in. Just remember mm-hmm. All right. So my third choice is actually a book that I'm currently in the midst of reading. But so you guys know that I'm kind of a true crime person, but that's a really guilty pleasure. So it's fun when you can encounter a true crime book that is a little bit more highbrow, maybe. And this book is called Strange Piece of Paradise. And the subtitle is A Return to the American West to Investigate My Attempted Murder and solve the mystery of myself by Terry Gents. Wow. Yes. Strange piece of paradise. So the background for this book, it's nonfiction. It's a memoir um, is this woman, Terry Gents, when she was an undergraduate at Yale in the seventies, she and one of her best friends decided to ride their bicycles across the United States, starting in Oregon. And they weren't, particularly athletic like they didn't really they weren't cyclists but they were like this is really cool and it's a great adventure and on like the second or third night of the trip they were attacked in their tents by a cowboy who ran over them in his truck and then attacked them both with a hatchet and left them for dead and they both survived but um her friend uh, survived but had amnesia of the entire like significant amnesia and didn't remember the event at all so as they then traveled into their lives she terry jens the author is basically the sole uh keeper of this memory and the crime went unsolved so 20 years later she returns to oregon realizing that she has a lot of healing yet to do psychologically. She returns to Oregon to sort of figure out how this um, crime had affected her and her development in her life and also to try to solve it. And it's really the story of a woman coming to terms with her own trauma and just her own sense of self. Um, It's a beautiful book, thrilling. Don't read it. Maybe if you're going camping, <laughs> like, I have a girlfriend who I who ordered it and she was like, I might wait until my camping trip in Yosemite this summer. And I was like, no, <laughs> don't do that. So wow. strange piece of paradise. Wow. That's my wow. number three pick. Wow. It's intense. Wow. Wow. Liz, three? Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to better from here. <laughs> wow. All right, back to you, Greg. Okay, so my number two, continuing this theme of rediscovering books, 
And so uh, for my number two, I revisited uh, Kurt Vonnegut's uh, A Man Without a Country, uh, which was his um, sort of memoir. Sorry, slash. It was it was just kind of his off the cuff thoughts. It was it's almost like reading a diary a little bit, Um, but it was written in 2005. It was coming off of George W. Bush's re-election and he was kind of processing his thoughts uh coming out of that and he has this great really brief moment in the middle of the book that spoke to how i'm experiencing the trump administration and the way that the world is now where he says you know what we do is as a country is we get together and we elect people um, and, and, and we, we put these guessers in charge and their guesses always turn out horrible. And then we like, and then we, we sort of say to ourselves, oh, well, that guesser was bad. Let me put another guesser in there and see if they can figure it out. And we, we're just sort of living off of the whims of these powerful people guessing at what they think is going to profit either them or the world. Uh, and I, th- it just it struck me as a as a really uh, sort of intuitive look at how power kind of works. None of us really kind of have it figured out, and even if we have data and facts to back up our arguments, it doesn't really matter as long as you have power. You are afforded the right to guess. So anyway, so that was my uh, number two: a man without a country. All right, um, it's on to you, Ricardo. All right. Well, uh, in the time we've been speaking and listening, I have discerned a theme to my three picks. Oh. Uh, and uh, sort of loosely told, it is th- these are works, uh, works of fiction and nonfiction that feature characters or people in very harsh, intense situations who, who's, whose lives are really immersive. But uh, my number two pick is nonfiction, and it is The Warmth of Other Suns which came out in 2010. It's by Isabel Wilkerson. And uh, it blew my mind. I've read it twice. I rarely read books more than once. It basically tells the story of black migration from the South to the North in the 20th century, beginning in, I think, the teens, the 1910s. And I think she stops in the 60s or 70s. All this stuff I knew nothing about. She tells the story mainly through the lives of three different people who migrated north in three different decades. I believe it's the 30s, the 40s, and the 50s. Uh, The woman, Ida Mae Gladney, I believe, she comes from Mississippi, goes to Chicago in the 30s, then winds up in Milwaukee, my hometown. And um, the reasons for their leaving, the things they find when they arrive, it happens to all three. A guy named George Starling, I think. He goes from Florida to New York City in the 40s. And then a fella, I think his name is Pershing Foster. He goes from Louisiana to Los Angeles in the 50s. So they, the author interweaves these three stories and checks in with them at various points in their lives. And then those three stories are woven in with kind of the general story of migration. And so there, there are so many details and facts. It's like hidden history right before our eyes. The characters themselves are fascinating and how they, how they make ends meet in the North and the racism in the North, boy, the most 
eye-opening part of it for me was what happened in and around Chicago and its suburbs in like the 70s around housing and how blacks were kind of kept out of neighborhoods or you know the whole white flight thing and how it was just this self-perpetuating misery and they were preyed upon by people who um sold them houses at an exorbitant rate or something but it was the only houses they could get it's just oh it just makes you shake with anger and it makes you marvel that these people they did it you know they did it the warmth of other suns all right brother james we're on to you okay so this is very different uh from anything we've talked about this is called between two souls and it's written by Mary Lou Kanauke. Mary Lou is a Benedictine nun from Erie, Pennsylvania. She was one of those nuns back starting in the 70s that was into everything. The anti-war movement, the anti-nuclear movement in the 80s, Pax Christi, Catholic worker. She did all of that kind of stuff. And she wrote a lot of books on those issues as well. But she's also a poet. And she's written a, a bunch of collections of poetry Monk in the City is one of my favorite books of poetry ever. And then her most recent one is a little chapbook called uh, Old Monk. (laughs) But but this one, the one I'm recommending, is called Between Two Souls. And what that is, is on facing pages, uh, you have a poem from uh, Roiken, who was a Buddhist monk in the 18th century. And her response to the poem based on what's going on in her life. And she writes a poem on the opposite page. And she actually did that every day for a year. And this collection of poetry is like the best of of all of that. And it's stunning spirituality. It's so, I mean, one of the things um, I've met Mary Lou several times. And if she wasn't a nun, she might be like, a bartender in a really rough bar with a, <laughs> like with a cigarette hanging out of her mouth and said, what can I get you, hon? You know, like stuff like that. And uh, she gave me this book and she said, Hey, you, you like poetry? And I said, well, yes, I do. Here, here, try this one. Can't sell them. So here you go. And I'm telling you, this is a great collection of poetry. Yeah. I love it. When I was a much younger person, I loved the kind of lofty, uplifting, you know, point you to God poetry. And I just, uh, like it so much more when it's real. Now. Mm-hmm. So between two souls, um, I would highly recommend it. And it's the kind of thing, I mean, the way I read poetry is I don't sit down and read the book. I might read it over the course of six months or, you know, read one or two because you really want to take it in slowly. So it's the kind of thing that you could spend a lot of time with, but I have gone back over this. I, I must've read through it completely four times. Now. Wow. Just, yeah. I really, really love it. Well, my second pick is by one of my favorite human beings that I've never met, the best friend that I have never met. I roamed the streets of New York recently just looking for her. And that's um, M Train by Patti Smith. And I'm surprised that I didn't talk about Patti Smith the last time that we did this because it's hard for me to talk about books without talking about her just because her uh, two books recently have really shaped my last few years of my reading life. Um, But the first memoir that Patti Smith wrote was called Just Kids, which was a reflection on her relationship as a young woman with the photographer Robert Maplethorpe. 
And that's a really, if you haven't read that, it is just a really gorgeous little memoir. It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. So I didn't know that she wrote another book, M Train, until I was like stuck in an airport somewhere looking around the Hudson booksellers and was like, oh my gosh, there's another Patty Smith book. So M Train is um, a beautiful collection of reflections. It's sort of structured around her travel as an artist and musician but even before she was famous she's just always traveled a ton and so she writes about just different vignettes about sitting in cafes in different parts of the world and just writes about her travel but it's also a book that is really contending with the grief of um, her husband's passing he died um, unexpectedly and when he was relatively young and she has then spent a lot of time just trying to understand what that grief meant to her and it's a beautiful reflection on how grief lingers for a very long time and you move on with your life and still she'll just tell like there's this one scene that I remember vividly of her flying back from Japan and she just has a picture of him as a, as a bookmark in a book. And she just starts weeping on the plane, looking at his photograph. And it, that's just so real. You know, everyone has had that experience. I just, I love her so much. So M Train by Patti Smith. I got to see her once at the Hardly Strictly Bluegrass Festival in San oh, Francisco yeah. one October. And she is, um, she has this authenticity about her. Mm-hmm. And she doesn't have to prove anything because she was in New York in the seventies and she was a punker, you know, that's the call the cred she needs. Right. But she's so lovely and giving and authentic. She sang some songs about like Jesus and faith. And there are all these hipsters in the audience. And I mean, I just like everyone here believes in Jesus for the length of this song because (laughs) Addie Smith is singing it. Um, she's got that kind of authenticity and authority that she carries lightly. I, I highly urge you to see her in concert. It won't be like anything you'd expect. I think it's, it's a, it's like a, it's like a, it's a kind of a religious experience. She's kind of a shaman woman. Yeah. All right. We're moving on to our number one picks. (laughs) Number one. Okay. So, um, so now for something completely different from me. Uh, last time we did one of these book things, I ended my list with a graphic novel. So I feel like I need to keep that uh, string going. So I'm going to end this list with a graphic novel. It's one that uh, it's a series that came out maybe five years ago. It's called Lock and Key. It's by Joe Hill, written by Joe Hill and illustrated by Gabriel Rodriguez. And it is a ghost story. It's the story of the Locke family, L-O-C-K-E. It's this uh, uh, sister and two brothers, and their, their, fa- their father is murdered, and their mother is almost murdered. And they, uh, they end up moving back to, uh, to a house in Boston uh, to get away from sort of the scene of the crime, which was in San Francisco. So they move all the way across the country to this house. And it turns out that the house is haunted, but the house has a lot of magic doors that can be opened with magic keys. And so the story is the story of the lock children finding these magic keys all over the house and sort of experiencing the power that come 
from them while sort of fighting off this ghostly apparition. What these keys unlock are sort of these amazing things about what it means to be young. So it's like the things that you hold on to, the memories that you hold on to, the way that you feel things so intensely when you're younger versus uh, when you age. You know, it's... it's um, uh, these keys unlock ultimately who these kids are going to be in life. All right, Ricardo, number one. I have waited for this moment since the inception of my co-hosting duties, <laughs> popping collars. I am going to recommend a novel from the 19th century. Of when course. Collars were not popped. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my number one pick is Crime and Punishment. By Fyodor Dostoevsky. That's one of my favorite books of all time. I'm applauding. Oh, good job. Oh, I thought you were (laughs) going to poo-poo it. Crime and Punishment is about a guy named Raskolnikov in St. Petersburg who is a young student and who, um, for whatever reason, gets it into his head that he needs to murder this landlady pawnbroker because she's wicked and take her money and do good with it. He's, you know, he's a pretty imperfect guy. He's starving. He's, you know, trying to make a mark in the world. And he goes to murder her with an axe and does so. But then her innocent sweet sister, Lizavieta, walks in. And so he has to kill her, too. He goes on and on about life. And life has done these things to me. And I'm a failure and all these things. And his children are grabbing onto him. And, you know, it's one of those kind of 19th century scenes of poverty. He dies and Raskolnikov gives what little money he had from the robbery to the family. And Sonia, uh, the daughter of Marmeladov, she's a, she's a main character. She winds up really befriending him. She has to prostitute herself to keep the family alive. And she becomes a saintly figure, sort of a Christ figure in the novel, and leads Raskolnikov back to redemption. I just think the novel asks so many questions about sin, redemption, um, ideologies that can take over your common sense, goodness in the midst of evil. It's hard. You know, I, people say, oh, you must read War and Peace before you die. I'd say you got to read Crime and Punishment before mm-hmm. you die. Brother James, number one. Well, Ricardo, you'll be happy to know that I am also going 19th century. Yay! I'm also going Russian. Oh. Yay! But it's not a novel, although it reads like a novel. Uh, and that's the way of, of a pilgrim. Oh. Since I was doing great spiritual books, this this is the is the one that probably has touched my life more than any. Um the Way of the Pilgrim is um, essentially a story of, you know, Russia has a tradition of, uh, they don't, in the Orthodox Church, they don't really have orders of monks. They have individual monasteries. And one of the outgrowths of that is that they have a form of monasticism in which a single monk kind of wanders around the countryside, saying the Jesus prayer over and over again. That's and kind of like what you it's do. It's kind of right like now. what I'm doing in Nebraska. In Nebraska right? yeah. <laughs> and uh, and helps whoever he encounters along the way in whatever way they need it. So if somebody needs spiritual help, he gives them some spiritual advice. If a farmer needs help at the harvest, he helps harvest. Uh, if a barn's falling down, he helps build it up. If somebody's hungry, he gives them food like that. Right. And then he always returns to the Jesus prayer. So this was written in the 19th century in Russia. It gets translated into English in the 1920s, um, as, as well as into French, with the great Russian migration out of the Soviet Union to England and to France. 
and it starts it really starts the Jesus prayer movement in uh, the Western Church. The Jesus prayer is, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. And you just keep repeating that as a mantra. They use a string of cords, uh, wool cords that are tied together. It's like a like the Marian rosary, except that it's usually wool. And on each knot, they just keep saying that, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. And the point of it is to get to what the Russians call the silence of the heart that place of where you've let go of all of your thoughts. You haven't tried to suppress them or pretend they're not there, but you simply are letting go of it all so that you can become Christ to whoever you encounter. So he, uh, the, the author, first of all, is anonymous. We don't know who, who wrote it. He, the author's writing about himself and he travels at least a thousand kilometers in Russia and Ukraine Wow! Uh, over the course of the book. So it's like a travelogue and you meet him in, in all these adventures, some that are dangerous, some that are touching, some that are very spiritual, some very ordinary. And it's just a wonderful, wonderful book. All right. So my number one book is actually my favorite novel of all time. Nope. And I can't believe that I didn't um, <laughs> use it last time. And it's called The Brothers K by David James Duncan. You will write it is a, an allusion to the Brothers Karamazov. And um, it's a super, super, super long novel um, about a family growing up in um, Oregon during the Vietnam War years, right before and then during the Vietnam War. And it's um, three brothers and two sisters and their parents And it's sort of a coming of age story about that family and the way that the war influences their lives, the way that they're um, Seventh-day Adventists, so the way that the church um, influences their lives. And then the Seventh-day Adventists were um, famously conscientious objectors. So there's a sort of pacifist strain that comes into this. And it's also a book about baseball and fly fishing. So what I will tell anyone is that if you are not into baseball or fly fishing, give yourself like 150 pages. Like it really takes a while to get into it. Um, And I remember that I've read it probably three times now. I've given it out like I'm an evangelist. Anyway, it's just so pretty. And when I was in college, David James Duncan has written other books and collections of essays also. And they're pretty good, but they're nothing like this. And I met him um, once in Bellingham, Washington, where he was doing a reading. And I came up to him afterwards and I said, like, the Brothers K is my favorite book that I've ever read. And he was like, I know. <laughs> he's like, he was like, and he actually said, he's like, it took me 15 years to write that book. I will never write anything like that ever again. He's like, I don't know. It's really good. (laughs) I've never recommended it to anyone who didn't absolutely love it and say that after that, it was one of their favorite books, but you have to put in the time at the beginning. It is a slog. Some friends can ride out the pain. Stand up so very brave. They can stitch themselves together I imagine it holds forever Well, thanks for tuning in to Popping Collars. Thanks to my co-host Greg and Ricardo and our special guest brother James for joining us all the way down the block here in Omaha, Nebraska. Thank you, um, 
Yeah, thanks. This is super fun. Happy reading, everyone. You can find episodes of our podcast at our website, poppingcollarspodcast.com. You can also like us on Facebook or follow us. To, are we on Twitter? We are on Twitter. You can follow us on Twitter. At Popping Collars. At Popping Collars, right there. Instagram. We also have an Instagram feed. And we have a Spotify playlist. Whoa. Oh, my gosh. So you can get all this great music that you're enjoying on our episodes. And please go head over to iTunes or Stitcher or anywhere that you get your podcasts and like us and rate and review us. And um, we'd like to thank the Episcopal Cafe for uh, making us a member of their podcasting network. Head over to EpiscopalCafe.com for all of your Episcopal news and opinion needs. All right. As always, thanks for joining us on Popping Collars. We will see you next time and keep those collars popped.